Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons Podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hi, welcome to the Workplace Strategies edition of Tech Place Talk. My name is Jen Betts, and I am here with my co-chair of Ogletree's technology practice group, Danielle Oaks. Hi. We are going to talk today about a topic that Danielle just spoke about at Ogletree's 2023 Workplace Strategies program, and that is the impact of new and emerging technologies in the workplace, specifically focused on ChatGPT, which is sort of all the rage right now. We had a great session. We're going to ask Danielle to talk a little bit about what the tech place is and what we do here at Ogletree relating to the integration of technology into the workplace. Absolutely, Jen. So the tech place is just what it sounds like. It's where technology meets the workplace. So we focus on working with employers who operate in technology, tech employers, as well as employers who have technology as part of their operation, which at this point is just about everybody, Jen. So Danielle, we haven't done one of these Tech Place Talk podcasts in a little while, so let's just spend a quick second and get some foundational information out there. Can you update our audience? How would you define artificial intelligence today? Yeah, I think by now everybody has probably their own working definition of artificial intelligence, but I'll share mine. AI is generally defined as the science of using machines to perform tasks that mimic or simulate human intelligence or cognitive function, such as problem solving, decision making, speaking, seeing, that sort of thing. What are some of the, I would say maybe like more nuanced and specific forms of artificial intelligence, like for example, a language model? Yeah, that's important. Now, you may hear about AI, you might hear about machine learning, you might hear about chatbot, but there are some terms that um, are still important to know, even though they're less popular, and large language model is one of those. So a large language model, sometimes referred to as LLM, is a type of machine learning model that can perform a variety of human-like or natural language tasks, including generating and classifying text, answering questions in a conversational manner, and translating text from one language to another. So large language models are trained with immense amounts of data that are used, for example, to predict the next word in a sentence, giving the surrounding context. So people often wonder, artificial intelligence, is it thinking? But it's not actually thinking. What's happening is it's been loaded with immense amounts of data that help it to understand what are the 10,000 possibilities in this combination of words. And if we have these five words together, what is the likely sixth word? And it uses all of this data to make these sort of predictions. And as the technology is refined, by going through this exercise over and over and over again, it reaches a level, um, frankly, of credibility where you can't actually tell the difference between whether you're speaking to a human or whether you're speaking to a computer. 
Let's put a pin on that because I want to talk more about credibility of these kinds of tools in a little while. But why don't we focus on ChatGPT just because it is getting so much attention out there. Is that an example of a large language model? And what exactly is ChatGPT, Danielle? Yes, ChatGPT is an example. There are many examples of what we'll call generative AI that use large language technology um, in order to uh, generate the interface that you see, you know, as um, a consumer out there in the world. So chat GPT, first of all, chat means chat, just chat. And then GPT means generative pre-trained transformer. That's a mouthful. Kind of, it is a mouthful. <laughs> and what that is, is a complex machine learning model that's able to carry out human-like or natural language tasks with a high level of accuracy. So you can't always tell whether you're talking to a computer or not. Um, the kinds of things that chat GPT or any model that is similar can do include things like building conversational chat bots. That's probably what most of you are most familiar with. Um, generating text for product descriptions, uh, writing blog posts, articles, answering FAQs, analyzing feedback from emails, social media posts, product reviews, translating uh, from one language to another, and, and that sort of thing, Jen. So generative AI, as I understand what you just told me, is generating some kind of response to a prompt. Are there potential negative or concerning applications of ChatGPT type technology? And one thing I'm thinking about is like maybe deep fakes. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Well, absolutely. Uh, one of the issues around deep fakes is <laughs> you can't tell they're not right. real. And there are a number of benefits, useful applications, and, and there are risks. So in the presentation that I just did, I showed the audience a series of about six or so pictures of me at different ages, in different poses, with different outfits, and none of them were actually me. It's an example of how realistic the technology is. The risk, of course, is, for example, in the workforce, the risk that you're generating information someone believes is true. Um, we see it out there in sort of social media, sports and entertainment. There are created, manufactured crises where people are portrayed as doing something that they shouldn't be doing using deep fakes. So there's, there's a real risk with them, but they, it, the technology is amazing. So I know recently Stanford put out a pretty detailed report about artificial intelligence and maybe what we can expect, what's on the horizon. Do you want to spend a minute and talk about some insights that you've gained from reading that report? Yeah. Um, the first version of the report or the first edition that I read was back in 2022. And um, this report really laid out everything that you need to know about where AI has been and where AI is going. Mm -hmm. uh, recently, about maybe a month ago, Stanford issued its newer report for 2023 that kind of built on its prior conclusions, and it, it's just chock full of um, valuable data. But if I were to kind of summarize high level yeah. what I've taken away from reviewing these reports, one, AI is here to stay. I don't think that's <laughs> particularly surprising, but uh -huh. it's really here to stay. It's global. Yeah. It is everywhere. Everyone in around the, the planet has access and is using it. It's affordable, if not free, and that's one of the reasons that it's so accessible 
you know, around the world. And it's very high functioning and it's getting better every day. So there are still glitches and Mm -hmm. there are limits, but the growth at which those sort of limits are being expanded, pushed, the errors being corrected is exponential. One of the things with respect to ChatGPT that I think is interesting is it can explain complex concepts, it can give creative ideas, it can even write code, and it can remember you know, prior chats and follow up, but it, it does have limits. And what I expect those limits to be overcome you know, relatively quickly. Some of the limits that it has is that it can give you incorrect information or biased responses. Yeah. Also, it's limited by the data that it is working with. All right, so Danielle, talk to me briefly about what kind of AI is being used in the workplace by employers right now. Okay, so there are lots of applications. Recruitment is really sort of on the forefront of AI development in the workplace, including um, using AI for interviewing, for reviewing resumes, even for candidate selection. Once someone's employed, monitoring employee productivity, using AI for employee training. If you're in a manufacturing environment, using AI with robotics. If you're in HR, using HR chatbots, for example, monitoring employees beyond simply productivity. Uh, Those are all pretty common AI applications in the workplace. So Danielle, you talked about uses by employers of artificial intelligence. Since ChatGPT is kind of on top of mind and we've been talking about it, are you aware of whether employers are using ChatGPT technology? And if so, what are the concerns with the use of that kind of technology for workplace purposes? Yeah, so the answer is yes. And and I think we should make a distinction between the GPT-4 technology that underlies lots of AI applications and chat GPT specifically. I think uh, many employers are very concerned about using chat GPT specifically because um, it's not yet clear exactly how uh, the information that you put into it is protected, whether it becomes part of the training data, Mm. whether you can maintain confidentiality, whether Mm. you're getting output that might be protected in some way, like copywritten. So there are lots of risks associated with using that particular application, which is really meant for kind of general consumer use. Mm -hmm. But employers are taking the underlying technology and developing apps that can be used in the workplace. Even uh, we as a law firm are examining how we might be able to use the technology to create greater efficiencies in the workplace. Fascinating stuff. Since our last podcast, there have been a lot of legal developments. So why don't you tell our audience where we are at in the United States relating to regulation of workplace use of any kind of automated decision-making tool. Well, Jen, there is a lot going on. So last year, the White House signaled its concern in something called the Blueprint for an AI Bill of Rights, which outlined several recommendations for the design, use, and deployment of AI technology in a way that protects the individual rights of the users in the areas of safety, anti-discrimination, data privacy, 
notice and and also uh, ways in which human alternatives can continue to be considered when someone declines to use AI or allow AI to be used. Now, of course, other agencies have gotten jumped on the bandwagon. And so the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, as well as the Department of Justice, the DOJ, have um, gotten in the mix and warned employers specifically that the use of AI and automated decision-making tools in hiring could result in things like unlawful discrimination against um, various groups of protected um, classes of people if uh, certain protections aren't put in place. So the EEOC issued some technical guidance with the focus on how to protect individuals with disabilities who may be in the application process where AI is being used. The technical assistance comes in the form of a series of questions and answers that explain how employers who use software that relies on algorithmic decision-making can put in place procedures and processes that protect the rights of employees under the ADA. In across the country, state by state, there's a lot of additional development. It's happening at different paces and in different ways, but I'll give a couple of examples. In California, uh, last year, regulators drafted proposed regulations, they haven't yet been implemented, focused on automated decision tools and hiring that are much broader than what the EEOC focused on. So they would apply to all different types of protected classifications and not simply people covered by um, disability law. Also recently, the California legislature proposed automated decision tool audit rules that are very similar to those that have been rolled out in New York City. By now, most people are very familiar with at least the existence of the New York City laws around auditing AI tools. Illinois, which has kind of been on the forefront of technology, surprisingly, um, has for some years had on the books AI and Video Interviewing Act. And that uh, seeks to impose some limits on how employers can use that technology, essentially focused on notice and letting people know um, that it's being used. Maryland also has a similar set of rules that relate to facial recognition used during the hiring process. The other states are um, not yet sure what they're going to do, but I would say half or more have commissions that are studying the issue to figure out what they're going to do. And of course, the EU, which has has been on the forefront of regulation in this area, has a pending um, piece of legislation called the AI Act, which would classify AI based on levels of risk, um, like high risk, medium risk, low risk. So a lot going on. Yeah, and I can't let this moment pass without talking about what's going on at the NLRB as well. There was a memo that came out late last year, kind of surprisingly, from the NLRB's general counsel talking about her position on employer use of automated decision-making technology, electronic monitoring, and its impact on employees' protected rights under Section 7 of the NLRA. So even from agencies that you wouldn't necessarily see as much of a close link on this topic are starting to get in this game. Danielle, Switching gears a little bit, you clued me in on this, and I thought it was fascinating. So I'd be curious if you could talk about this for a minute, but even leaders who are developing AI technology are in some instances warning about the risks, right? Yeah, no, it's it's very much true. Um, In March of this year, a group issued an open letter that that has been signed uh, by at least a thousand 
AI experts, and business leaders imploring developers to slow down because the risks simply are unknown. So the letter states in part, quote, advanced AI could represent a profound change in the history of life on Earth and should be planned for and managed with commensurate care and resources. So there are folks- That's pretty serious, yeah. pretty serious. Yeah. Um, so the idea here is like, take care. Yeah. Take care with your AI development. Well, I think that's a good segue to what I guess just in the interest of time has to be our last topic for this podcast, which is there's a lot of cool stuff happening out there. You talked about the development, you talked about the speed, we talked about some examples like ChatGPT. If I'm in-house at a company and I just listen to this, after having my mind blown for a minute, I'm gonna be wondering what should I do? So do you have any, we're not gonna give advice on this podcast, but do you have any suggestions about things that people should be thinking about if their organization already is using AI or is thinking about using AI in the future? Well, I can tell you what I like to focus on when I think about this area. So um, I think about policy development because that's what employers, HR, legal um, focused on employees do. They develop policies to help better manage things in the workplace. And there's some basic concepts that are emerging from the legislative and regulatory field that I think are concepts that could be incorporated in the policy development that employers are doing. And I'll mention some of them. Notice. So are you in the position to let your employees know that you're using this technology? Key to that is, do you know that you're using this technology? <laughs> I think there was a benchmarking survey that we just did, Jen, that... Yeah, we talked about that yesterday at Workplace Strategies. The firm puts out an annual benchmarking survey and asked a question about, hey, how many of you are using artificial intelligence for recruiting and hiring? And only 20% of respondents said yes. But we know, Danielle, from looking at data nationwide, that the real number for Fortune 500 companies is really closer to 80. So it absolutely goes to your point that there's sometimes a disconnect between what people think the organization is doing in terms of the use of automated decision-making tools and what's actually happening out there. Yeah, absolutely. One of the other things that I think I like to look at and consider is whether or not employees should be given the right to consent, which also means mm -hmm. to not consent. And you'd have to think long and hard about what that means, because if an employee has the right to not consent to the use of AI for some particular process or procedure, you're going to have to have a human alternative. Right. And the law is sort of emerging in a way that suggests that human alternatives are probably going to be something that we need to look at closely. Data retention and security is huge. Anytime you're talking about technology, you always have to think about that. And then lastly, validating and auditing your tools. We're now seeing that the laws are requiring right. some level of auditing. And But you, you'd want to know, does this tool do what it's supposed to do? And by the way, what is it supposed to do? And are we, you know, why did we get this tool? Right. And are we using it in the way that we intended? to use it. So there's a lot to look at in the validation and auditing field. I will say one of the things, Jen, that we've done, and I can sort of close on this, is we've looked at um, the types of policies that we think um, are likely to be desirable to employers and put together a template, and it sets out three different options. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about what those are? Yeah, so particularly in the in the context of generative AI, some of the things that a lot of employers are thinking about from a policy or just sort of an internal practice perspective are things like absolutely prohibiting use of these kinds of artificial intelligence tools. That's one option. 
um, allowing use with approval from certain designated individuals, but making clear that employees are restricted from uploading or using confidential proprietary information. And then sort of the third broad option that we see a lot of employers considering is you know, not permitting use in any context that use confidential or trade secret information, not requiring pre-approvals outside of that context, but leaving it to employees' discretion with the caveat and the disclaimer that they have to review whatever's generated by the tool and make sure that they have confidence and they're using their own kind of independent judgment and thinking before relying on it for workplace purposes. And so, you know, I'm sure there's other permutation of options that are out there, but those seem to be the three big buckets that a lot of clients are looking at right now. Yeah, I, I totally agree with, with the approach and tailoring the approach Approach to what's Absolutely. happening in your workplace. So unfortunately, I think that's all the time we have to, for today. I want to thank you, Danielle, for joining me for this episode of Tech Place Talk. We will be back with you again shortly in the Tech Place, where technology meets the workplace. Thanks, Jen. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.